Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I am your host, Chris Otto, coming at you live on Monday, June 24th from California. But I won't be here for long, dear listeners. I'll be headed across the pond to Wimbledon. I will be setting up at SW19 for the Wimbledon Fortnite starting on late Thursday. So look forward to that. Stay tuned to the podcast. You'll hear lots of fresh content coming from us on the podcast and of course at www.tennisnow.com. Today we're here to talk about the first two weeks of grass court season. It happens fast on the grass. Roland Garros was just two weeks ago and now we've got two weeks of grass tennis in the books. We saw Roger Federer win his 10th title at Halle yesterday. We saw Ash Barty win at Birmingham and become the WTA's number one ranked player. We also saw Andy Murray return to the doubles court and win the title at Queens Club. He was joined by Feliciano Lopez, who won both titles at Queens Club, the first player to achieve that feat in 22 years. Over in Mallorca, we saw Sophia Kennan of the United States, the 20-year-old, took the title from Belinda Bencic in the final. Lots of storylines to follow. Lots of stuff happening as we lead up to Wimbledon. And by the way, qualifying is underway at Wimbledon. And first ball, less than a week away at SW19. Joining the program today to talk about it is Tennis Now's editor, Richard Pagliaro. So here is us discussing what we've learned on grass so far this season. Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor, is going to join me today. We're going to talk a little bit about grass season. It's fast and furious, right, Richard? It's fast and furious, and you were out there with the power mower uh, and the hedge clippers today getting ready for the green, because you'll be there, <laughs> so that's exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it up to the uh, Wimbledon grounds crew. But yeah, and now that you mention it, I'm heading out there on Wednesday. We'll, uh, I'll be there for Friday, probably. The, I think that's the last round of qualifying, but... Geez, I mean, so much happens in so little time. It's hard to get a gauge on everything because some of the players don't even play warm-up events. But what can we take away from these first two weeks of grass? You know, it's it's exciting because we've seen players revitalize like Feliciano Lopez sweeping both at 37 years old as a wild card and also Gilles Simone getting to the final at his age. And, you know, Federer it was incredible winning the 10th, but earlier in that tournament he played Sanga. It was a great match, and Sanga's, what, 33-34 now. So you see the older guys that know how to move and know how to change direction on the grass are good, but also we've seen some breakout performances with uh, Kennan saving the three championship points, Felix, you know, an amazing grass run, and also a guy that people have always thought of as a clay player, uh, Berrettini, he's He's been a real force on grass, and he seems to really to really like it. So it's exciting to see that. Yeah, good point. And you mentioned Feliciano Lopez, 37 years old, first guy to win singles and doubles at Queens Club since Philippoussis in 97. I mean, he was a part of Andy Murray's comeback story. I mean, this guy is just an animal, right? He is, and to me, the thing that is maybe a little bit underplayed is his fitness. Like you said, 37 years old, played three three matches on, or at least parts of three matches on Saturday just to get to both finals, and the guy looks so, so fit, and he also looks like very eager, you know, because he really staggered into London. I think he only had three wins coming into Queens, 
And to get the wild card and also you could sense his pride in the victory speech thanking the tournament director because he's a tournament director himself and he knows how valuable that is and to make the most of it, that's got to be so fulfilling to him. And also the part with his fiance talking about how she stood by him during the real rough patches he's had where people have kind of counted him out and to come back so strong and his service motion is still beautiful. He still volleys beautifully. And to me, it doesn't look like he's lost a step, maybe a quarter of a step. He doesn't look noticeably slower to me. Yeah, it's it's really nice that he was able to have success. You know, he pushed his ranking up 60 spots, and he's up Amazing. to 53 now. Amazing. So he yeah. won't need a wild card for the U.S. Open. Of course, he's going to play his 70th consecutive major. That's the all-time record at Wimbledon. And now the streak could go on a few longer because he's got that ranking up. He, look, he should be good for Aussie Open next year as well. Yeah, and it's amazing when you touch on that, the record-extending 70th consecutive major at Wimbledon, because you think of his style, it's pretty physical to be able to move forward that. I mean, he's sprinting forward so much throughout the match and be able to change direction on a dime. And also, he's a guy that, if you look historically, he's played a lot of physical four or five set ma- I mean, he plays long matches in majors for some reason, but uh, his... To me, to have that kind of stem and that passion for the game after all these years, you could see how much he was moved. And also the crowd, he'll get great crowd support there because of the Murray connection, and people are really impressed with I think, how he handles himself. And also his doubles partner, Andy Murray. Let's shift over to Muzza. How good did Murray look? How impressive was that to see him back and fit and energized? Yeah, I was really impressed with how he looked. You know, you even watching him move around on the practice court, you're wondering, God, is he going to have a, a little bit of a limp? Because his movement was one of his greatest assets. And, he, boy, his anticipation, his his ability to redirect at net, his movement, it, it, it looked – I realize it's a doubles court. He's covering half the court. But still, it, I, I was really impressed with what, with what he showed us. Yeah, and, and now – the search begins for a mixed doubles partner. Of course, he's playing with Pierre Hugues Herbert in doubles at Wimbledon. Who do you think is the ideal mixed partner for him? Well, he asked Bar. I think that would have been a dynamite team, him and Barty. And she, you know, understandably, because she's got a real shot at the singles title, she she didn't want. I'd like to see him with someone like uh, 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 Sue Shea. Shea Sue I'd like to. I mean, I love her doubles, but she's more of a touch finesse player. Maybe he's looking for someone. A little more pop on the serve. Uh, I think Mladenovic has also declined, I believe. She shot him uh, down. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, it's Andy Murray. Like, somebody's got to step up here, you know. He's he's so uh, he's so dynamic in double. To me, in doubles, he's almost more dynamic in singles because he gets to the net so much more. And he's a phenomenal. He's not just a good net player. He's a phenomenal net player. Great overhead, too. So, I don't know. It's a good question. I wish Hingis had not given birth because that would be something you'd love to see Hingis come back for. You know, the two of them together, their ability to, you know, just their 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 touch and their ability to master the angles together. That would have been a dynamite team. Yeah, I mean, you want to be, you know, doubles mixed can be side story a little bit at the Grand Slams with so much going on. But Andy Murray in mix is going to be one of the big stories at Wimbledon. So if a player wants to get some attention, increase their profile, and here's a great chance to do it. How about Venus Williams? How about Venus Williams is a great one. Yeah, great one. And also, just to pick up on your point on the mix, remember the year he played with Laura Robson at uh, at the Olympics, oh, and yeah. I think they lost to Mirny and Azarenka. The crowds for those matches were just incredible, incredible crowds and the enthusiasm. So... 
Yeah, Venus would be great. I'd love to see. You just wonder with Venus, she's always wearing the, the elbow sleeve or a lot of heavy wrapping on the arm. You wonder if she just really wants to protect the arm as far as her serve for the singles. Right. That's a good point. We'll have to wait and see. I think uh, I think we have to find out. I think Murray gave us a timetable of Wednesday. So a couple days, we'll we'll know who Murray's mixed partner is. Let's move ahead a little. Did more. he offer to Carolyn Garcia already? Did he already reach out to her? That one makes not? complete sense, right? I haven't because heard anything he was about so high either. on her as a young player, you know. Yeah, that could be a good one as well. It's, uh, and it's, she has a good serve. She has a good serve when she's making it, when she's confident. She has a solid serve. Yeah, she's in pretty good form these days. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Won the Nottingham title. Um, good on grass. So that could be a good mix. Well, let's let's push it a little forward. Let's talk about Ash Barty. 12 straight wins, 36-5 and five on the season. And she is the WTA's world number one today. She's the 27th player to ever claim the WTA's number one ranking. I mean, what do we make of her success? And you know, is she your top favorite for Wimbledon now? Good question. Yeah, amazing, amazing success, amazing run. I know people sort of try to diminish her, her Roland Garros title because she beat, you know, young teenage players. But to me, she's proven it on every service that she can compete with the best and also the uniqueness of her game. You know, you look at her, as you and I were talking earlier, you know, so many of the top players now are the big power players that can just rip on the ball. She's shorter than Hingis was and her serve is one of the best in the game, especially the kick serve and her ability to place it and locate every, every bit of the box and set up the forehand or the slice. Her game is totally unique to me. And that's why I think she will be a top a top five mainstay for a while. The, the the real game starts now. Now you're number one. Now the clock is ticking. Now every match is a pressure match. Now, you know, we saw Osaka sort of go up and down with that, and I, I think Osaka's going to be fine long term. It, it'll be interesting to see how it, it, if, if Ash Barty uh, can sort of withstand that mental side of the game because we've seen players like Ivanovic or Muguruza where you think it's going to be more, you know, sort of a longer reign and it just doesn't happen. So, but I think just from seeing her and was in Miami for all of her pressers, she just seems so level-headed, so calm, so poised. And I think the fact that she stepped away from the game, she comes back now with a greater life experience, and I think that's going to really serve her well. She just seems so level-headed and poised. I think. I think it's going to be a good run for her. I don't know about winning. I don't know. I just don't know until I see the draw about winning Wimbledon. But you definitely have to put her as one of the top three favorites. Of course. And you have to like her chances. Uh, if you compare her to Naomi Osaka, who was number one heading into Roland Garros, but yet she's playing on surfaces that really aren't considered to be her best. She's kind of learning how to play on clay and also now learning how to play on grass. Well, Barty proved what she can do on clay, which was a huge surprise. But here on grass, she's very familiar with this surface and just seems so, it seems so perfectly suited for her game. Right. And she's a former Wimbledon girls, you know, champion. She won in 2011, I believe, yep. at 15. And that's the surface. If you look at her game, just the components of her game, that slice. I remember asking uh, Pliskova in Miami about the slice. She compared it to Vinci with a little, Roberto Vinci with a little bit more bite. And nobody really has that level of slice that she brings. So that's a big thing on grass where the bounce is lower. And also when you get those worn-out patches and the ball can really skid low, stay away from you, and it's hard to get a clean hit. And that's a big thing. She forces you to kind of scrape and salvage and pop up a reply, and then she can hammer the forehand. She's got a really good forehand. And, you know, she's one of the better net players in, in the world, no doubt. 
Yeah. And how about weeks at number one? Looking at this list, we've got, you know, the five players with 200 weeks or more, which are Steffi Graf, Martina Navratilova, Serena Williams, Chris Everett, and Martina Hingis. But down at the bottom, we saw Osaka run out to 21 weeks and her streak is stopped today. And now you've got Barty here at one week. What, what do you think the future holds for these two players in terms of weeks at number one? Do you think they'll spend a lot of time there over the next few years? I think Osaka will if if she stays healthy and sort of stabilizes the the uh, just the week to week consistency. And I and I agree a hundred percent with what you said earlier. Clay is not her best surface. It's not a surprise to me that she lost there. And even though she said she's not comfortable on grass, to me her game should translate effectively to grass. So I, I do expect Osaka to get back to number one eventually. And I I would in my in my view I think she'll have a longer run as world number one than Barty, but that's not to diminish Barty. I think Barty's, she's so unique that she's always going to be around, I think. All right. And isn't it fascinating, the points that you mentioned about players and their games on certain surfaces and how Osaka is a player you would think with the big serve and the way she hits the ball that she could be successful on the surface. But it's so fascinating. And one of the, and maybe the thing that I love the most about tennis is how different players must play on different surfaces to have success which players do have success all the adjustments you have to make to go from clay to grass and then this summer will be back to hard it's just it makes this sport and this time of year so interesting right yeah because every every surface presents its own puzzle and a lot of times it's the bounce a lot of times it's players like the ball hip high they like it in a certain zone and that's another beauty of Barty is that she can really, really bend you low with the low slice where you're scraping a ball off your shoelaces, and then she can start the point with the kick serve where it can be shoulder level. So she disorientates you with the ability to alter height, and I think that's a big thing. But sometimes on the surfaces, when you get the lower bound, that's why Venus, for example, on grass, she's only two of the last three appearances, she's been semifinals or better at Wimbledon because her serve is just stays so low. It's hard to really get it's anything nasty. on the return. When she's making the serve, you know, when she's making the serve, it's it's really hard to do. So I, she's another one I wouldn't discount at Wimbledon, even though, oh, she's 39, she's getting older, she looks banged up, but she just knows how to move on the grass as well. It's it's hard to change direction if you don't know, if you're not comfortable moving on it. Right, and that's the point I was going to step to next, is that the movement on grass, where some players might have, say, the strokes that you would think would work, they might have a good backhand slice or a good serve, they're just not comfortable moving on it and that is number one of in, in terms of importance and that's why some people you'd say why isn't this player say a carolina pliskova or somebody quickly and right away good on grass well it's be, it's because they're, they're not comfortable moving and maybe in pliskova's case it's because of her height and it's difficult for her to get low but it, again it's just fascinating the the switches of the surfaces and then especially here on grass at wimbledon with such a quick turnaround it's just it's mind-boggling it's so compressed and just to quickly pick up what you said about Pliskova. I felt the same way uh, uh, about Yvonne Lendl. People would always be like, geez, he should be winning Wimbledon. He's got a huge serve. He can slice the backhand, keep it low. The forehand's a weapon, and it's the movement. He just didn't, he wasn't comfortable moving forward. It's just the movement. He never looked stable or comfortable, even though he made, you know, obviously the final there. Yeah. Uh, speaking of guys who are pretty comfortable moving forward, Roger Federer wins Halle. He's 32 and four on the season. That's his third title of 2019, his 102nd title of his career. He's now one, 
81 and 26 on grass, which is an 874 winning percentage. I mean, wasn't the toughest draw, but it wasn't easy for Federer by any means, right? No, it wasn't because Sanga gave him a real tough test early. And even, look, the go farm, even part of that match, the beginning stages the were, you know, the three break points. I mean, if he gets broken there, who knows? You get up a set, you can definitely swing more freely. But he, he looked fantastic. And especially when you contrast that with departures like Zverev or even Sitsipas, you know, really getting a little bit emotional after losing. When you look at just his state of mind going in compared to some of the other younger contenders, right. you know, he, he's right where he wants to be, in, in my view, and he's an eight-time champion. And also for the seeding purposes, you know, the second seed and, and not having to play Novak until potentially the final is a, is a big is a big thing massive and yeah you're right about Federer the margins are so thin it would be it would have been so easy for him to say you know play a few bad service games and get in trouble big trouble even bigger than he was already in against Sangha and the same against Batista Agu the next round but but Roger's so he's so poised he's so good at protecting his serve and he's so good at managing matches on this surface where things can turn on you so quickly if you put in one maybe two bad service games and you're out of the tournament he doesn't do that Absolutely, and also I think just to pick up on your point there, it's uh, you get a feeling for the precision of his serve, how important that is, because on grass, the name of the game is holding serve more than any other surface you got to hold, and he holds as well as the best of them, and he doesn't beat you with like a 135-mile-an-hour bomb, but his ability to just dot every air, I mean, just the precision on the serve is, is amazing, how well he can use it to set up the next ball, it, it's it, you really get an appreciation. Also, when they show the camera shot behind the returner, where you see how he can slide the slider on the um, on the deuce side, where he can put you right in the doubles alley, it's it's really impressive. Yeah, it's, it's there's uh, watching Federer on grass. Yeah, there are a lot of subtleties, right? And I always kind of chuckle to myself whenever I see him down love 30, 15, 40, even the way you're thinking the odds of him getting out of this are like so much higher than they would be for virtually any other player he just finds his way out of trouble so great on the grass and yeah you're right the spot serving i think it rewards his courage too, his commitment like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna make it or i'm gonna miss it but i'm gonna play it on my terms it's hard to do that like you just said when you know you know any break is fatal or also you play so many more breakers and you've seen like when he lost to kevin anderson at wimbledon uh last year or what 2011 when he lost to saga up two sets a lot of that comes down to breakers but he's still it takes a lot of courage to play that way you know you could easily just hey i'm gonna hang back i'm gonna throw some slices in look for the cheap air but he doesn't do that he goes after it yeah it's great. Um, it just uh you know one the eighth wonder of the world roger federer on grass right well uh, we're chatting here with Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor, also a big New York Mets fan, based out of, based out of New York. I just want to mention that because the Mets are still in the wild card race. We got to we got to talk about this team a little bit. Yeah, barely, right? All right, <laughs> all right. Enough on the Mets. Back to the tennis. Um, grass season is quick. Two weeks are in the books. You mentioned Sitsipas, Oje Aliassime, Berrettini, so- Sophia Kennan on the women's side. What do we learn? Did what do we learn about maybe some of the players who we're not thinking about, like the primo favorites, like the Federers and and Ash Barty's? Uh, did you pick up on anything that we've seen over these last two weeks? Well, to me, Berrettini, when you blast through Stuttgart and you don't lose serve, I think it was fifty straight service games right. he held. Take the, take his first grass title without losing your serve. That's a huge, that's a huge confidence builder going into Wimbledon because this guy knows if he's making his first serve 
at the very least, you're looking at a tiebreaker against just about anybody in the world, the way he can serve and the way he can finish with the forehand. Also, he's got some nice feel off the backhand. To me, Felix is a real guy to, to really watch, especially because of the injury that he had to miss Paris. I think he'll be even more motivated. And in that sense, maybe the loss to Lopez was a good thing. In a way, it takes a little bit of pressure off and uh, gives him a little bit of time to rest and recover. But look, the Kyrgios match, he stood right in there toe-to-toe with one of the most... I mean, granted, Kyrgios can be a head case, but his serve, when he's making his serve, it's hard to break. And he stood there right every single point, right to the end, breaks him in the last game. I mean, Felix... It's crazy to say because he's never actually won a Grand Slam match, a singles match, but I, I think depending on the draw, he's a guy to really watch for there. Playing with a lot of poise for an 18-year-old, isn't he? Yeah, that's a good word to describe it because you see him dangerous on both the serve and the return, and when things get tight, he stays calm, and also when he comes up against more emotional vocal players like Kyrios or like an experienced guy like that, you don't see sort of any... He doesn't play like an 18-year-old. He plays like he's a 28-year-old in an 18-year-old body. Yeah, and he really has Stefano Tsitsipas' number at this point. Yeah, that would, that sort of admission from Tsitsipas, I haven't heard a, a player really be that brutally candid since I remember the year Hingis lost to Lindsay Davenport, I think it was the Australian Open final, where she just said publicly, I can't play. I can't, I can't figure it out. You know, you rarely hear. I remember really, really early in Federer's career, he lost to Nalbandian at the U.S. Open. Okay. And he said, he basically said similar thing. This guy just plays contra tennis. He's hard to figure. But for Sitsipas to say that, it takes a, a lot of candor to come out and say it. Not only his admission that Felix, he feels is better, but also he was putting Felix on a level if he plays Rafa, Roger, Novak. He likes Felix's chance. I mean, that's a huge thing to say because he's beaten two of those three guys. Yeah, and, and Sitsipas himself, to me, sticks out as a player who has a lot of potential at, w- at Wimbledon. Yes, he may have trouble with Felix Auger-Aliassime, but I see him making a deep run potentially even this season. He's got a great game with the big serve and the ability to transition forward on this surface. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And also, I think that stand match at the French Open, that even though he lost that match, that was such a classic, epic match, and he showed you so much heart and fire and determination and the ups and downs playing a three-time Grand Slam, I think that match will do wonders for him at Wimbledon if he gets into another, you know, long test with a veteran player or seeded guy. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Felix is his kryptonite, but that doesn't mean he can't be, you know, a superstar player against other players. Not at all. And how about Daniil Medvedev looking pretty good on grass, got into a strange match with Gilles Simone, and, of course, uh, not many people were able to solve Simone last week at Queen's Club. Yeah, and those were like clay court rally, like 30-ball, 33 49. Ball I mean, Medvedev is mind-blowing when you watch him because if you watch him in person, when you see the, when you see his net clearance, some of his shots are clearing the net by like less than six inches, but the guy can stand there with the best in the world, hit 30, 40 shots, like go back to the Australian Open against Djokovic. He was standing in there against number one, like no problem at all to go. He's really, really good, Medvedev, very underrated player. Underrated, and another player like Sitsipas, like Oje Aliassim, with a chance to make some waves at Wimbledon. I mean, I think it's going to be tough for anybody to break this this stranglehold of the big three at the majors. They've now won the last 10 majors. That's Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic. 
but a lot of players angling to make the second week, maybe push for a quarter and semifinal, and from there, who knows, right? Yeah, and also, you know, like you said, the big three, they've won the last, uh, or with Murray included that, they've won the last 16 Wimbledons, oh, but geez. Murray himself said that he he definitely thinks it's going to be one of those three, and why wouldn't you think that? But look, freaky things happen, you know, you saw, you've seen, you know, Roundage beat Federer, You've seen Anderson beat Federer. You've seen Sanga beat Federer. You meet, you've seen Kyrgios beat Nadal. You know, you get somebody on the right day. Lucas Rosal beat Nadal. Steve Darcy's beat Nadal. So you get somebody on the right day, anything could happen. But I would definitely agree that those three, if you're looking at it statistically, I think it's like a 95% shot that one of those three would win it. Yeah, but it doesn't, to me, make things any less entertaining for the men's side. People maybe clamor that it's predictable but again all these these battles to get to the semis to get to the quarters and for the younger generation this these are the the proving grounds for them to probably set the table for future triumphs also i don't buy into it when people say it's boring because like you just said earlier if you saw the way federer played in halle or if you saw the way rafa went after team in Paris in the final. I mean, you can't tell me that's boring. I mean, you're looking at two guys who are still near the peak of their powers despite the age. I mean, if you love tennis, just the way they play the game, it's a beautiful thing to see. I want to see more of it, not less of it. But Thank you. As far as the I, – I, mean, I understand what people are saying. It's too predictable at the end. But if these young guys – like, since the pass has been in a major semifinal, like, if this guy – I don't think he would be awed if he gets back there. I don't think he would be. I think he, I'm not saying he's ready to win, but I think he, he would be definitely a threat. Mm -hmm. And there's one last topic I want to hit with you, Richard, and I want to drive over to Mallorca, Rafael Nadal's hometown, home island, and talk a little bit about Sonia Kennan's, Sophia Kennan's, I don't know what to call her sometimes, but I think it's Sophia would be the safe bet. Her title there, she was 3-9 and nine against the top 20 heading into this season. She has notched now six top 20 wins. She's got two titles on the year. She is a feisty and tough young American player at the age of 20. Boy, she is a hardcore competitor. The harder the scrap gets, the better <laughs> she likes it. The more tense it gets, the more... And I like her emotion, her fire, like you said. And also at 20 years old, her... Understanding of how the ebbs and flows of a match, being willing to leave the court, get your head together, come back. But I think that that Serena win over Serena at Roland Garros did a lot for her. It empowered her. She knows, she legitimately feels, at least to me, when you when you see her go out there, she legitimately feels she's she can beat anybody that she's up against. I know that sounds like a small thing, but that's a huge thing when you're 20 years old going against these you know, big-time champions, and, and Belinda Benchett is a really, really good player to come back against her. And she had Benchett's emotional even in the first set. I mean, I think Benchett's knew, look, this this girl is, is really, really tough. Mm -hmm. The thing I love about her game from a, a technical standpoint, yes. her ability to stand right up on the line and take the ball on the rise, it reminds me a little bit of a Hingis. Right. And her ability to really whip the ball down the line, it reminds me of Capriati. It's almost like if you combine Hingis's timing and, and ability to take on the rise with Capriati's just the love of the risk and just I'm going to rip it down the line and she's able to especially on the backhand she knows when to change direction she has a sense for that that a lot of players even older players don't and it's a surprising thing it almost looks like even in the Serena match it almost looked like sometimes Serena didn't know where she was going to hit the ball and Serena's a 20 plus year veteran she's played them all and it almost looked like Either her disguise or just her ability to change 
direction with a short backswing, it seems it's very hard for them to read her ball. Uh-huh. Interesting take, yes. And I wanted to point out the fact that she does deserve credit for being more than just an incredibly scrappy and tough fighter. She is a very talented player. Like you said, takes she the is. ball early, plays with a lot of courage, and, and and really actually has a pretty powerful game. And yes, she, she kind of hugs the baseline and is, and is a very aggressive player. I think she has a very bright future. I mean, we're talking a lot about Amanda Anisimova, and rightfully so. And she's risen from 87 to 27. She was just a Roland Garros semifinalist at the age of 17. But but don't sleep on Sophia Kennan, right? I agree with you. I think long-term, Anisimova is going to have a longer, brighter future, barring injury. But I'm saying right now, for Wimbledon, right now, I would definitely say Kennan, to me, is going to do more damage, depending on the draw. And uh, I agree with everything you said about I think people miscast her as kind of like, oh, like a Wozniacki light, like she's a quick retriever, or like Amanda Coates or Arantxa Sanchez. She's not that player. She's a player that she wants to play offense. She wants to take the ball on the rise and make you move, and she's shown you against really, really big hitters. Serena's still a big hitter. She's shown you that she can play offense against Serena. She wasn't running and chasing against Serena. She was stepping right into the ball, right into the court, making Serena move, and that's a big thing. And I think if she can apply that to the grass, and she showed, like you said, in Mallorca that she can, she she can be a real threat, and she's so emotionally, she's just so feisty, like you can just feel it coming from her, like every point she wants it so bad. Yeah, I really like that about her. Some players can maybe be a little over the top and annoying, but with her, I tend to gravitate to it. I really like her energy out there. You have to be that way these days to to play against the level of depth and talent that there is out there on the tour. So well done to her. And yes, that Roland Garros win, unbelievable. I think that's uh, something she's going to carry with her for a long time. And she took a set off Ash Barty at Roland Garros too. I know she got blown out at the end, but she took a set off the eventual champion who's number one in the world. I mean, that's a big thing too. Yeah, and uh, also took a set off Pliskova in Rome, took a set off Halep at the Australian Open. So it's right, she's, she's, right, and Svitolina at Indian Wells, and Svit, back when Svitolina was healthy and playing well. So even her losses are good losses. So a lot to like about this young talent, uh, Richard. A lot, yeah, and she's exciting. She's so into it. That's what I like about her energy. You just feel her energy in a, in a good way. Don't you wish you could feel that same way about the Mets bullpen? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Mets are threatening the media now. There's only a big thing. They almost punched out one of the reports, so it's it's uh, bordering on chaos. Oh, so, man. That, that one's for all the our baseball fans that listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, Richard Pagliaro, awesome to chat. I, I don't know why we haven't done it more. I guess been traveling a little bit, so it makes sense not to do it on the phone when I'm in another country. I but, thought it was because you have caller ID and you don't accept my calls. No, it's, not, it's not that at all. In fact, I hope that we talk again <laughs> soon, and uh, our listeners can look forward to plenty of chats between us uh, throughout the summer. Psyched for Wimbledon. Psyched that you came over and chatted with me today, and uh, let's catch up again soon. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And also, I look forward to seeing your uh, listening to your stuff from Wimbledon because I know you'll have some cool guests there live right on site, so I think that's a, it's a great thing for us, you know, for <laughs> You'll be there. That's great. Absolutely. So pumped to get over there and bring you guys all the action from SW19. Well, Richard, uh, let you go. And, uh, geez, busy week. Let's get pumped up. Qualifying underway at Wimbledon. And um, I'll talk to you probably later in the week. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. Take care. Thank you. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank our sponsors, Tennis Express. Go to TennisExpress.com for all your tennis-related needs this summer. We're talking about apparel, shoes, 
rackets, strings, bags, balls, anything you name it that's tennis related, tennisexpress.com. Want to let you guys know you can find tennis now on the web. You can look for us at facebook.com slash tennis now. Find us on Twitter at tennis underscore now. And of course, you can find the Lucky Let Cord podcast on iTunes. Just go to Apple Podcasts, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and voila, we're there. We'd love it if you keep those reviews coming. You can also find this podcast on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to your podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you from Wimbledon.